Okay, y'all, get your electronic devices, your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there's one uh, in the seat in front of you, if you're still into the whatever paper, whatever that is, right? Uh, I hope you had a good week. Did everybody have a good week? Sort of. Well, Jeff, how was your week? I'm so glad you asked how my week was. Oh, I had a great week. I have one child that's missing that has uh, a sling on her arm. I have another child who has a cast on his arm. So it was a fantastic week. And they both did it on the same day. One up in Colorado and one on a football field in Lorena. So I am taking donations. I'm setting up a, what do you call those things that people do on GoFundMe? I am setting up a GoFundMe. Thank you. All right, so we're going to continue our series on Bible basics. What have we looked at so far? We've looked at the Bible. What is the Bible? We've looked at God, just a small topic. Who is God? We looked at control. Who has control? We looked at creation. Well, why is it? Why did God create? We looked at sin. Remember the creepy doctrine last week? What is the sin? The sin in the singular. Not sins plural, but the sin in the singular. What is it? So what's today's doctrine? Well, one of the most, uh, last week we were in Sedona, we mentioned that. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It gets overlooked because it's in the backyard of the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon. I mean, who really cares about the Grand Canyon? Does the Grand Canyon even exist? I don't know. We got very, very close. You know that it's a legend here at Redeemer, and that we never got there. So I don't know that the Grand Canyon actually exists, and I think it's been confirmed to me that it's just not a big deal. So I'm not going to use the illustration anymore, because when I came up uh, for the Lord's Supper, Bonnie Klein said, hey, it's just a hole in the ground. (laughs) So I'm sorry, all of you, that I did your wedding and used that phenomenal Grand Canyon illustration. It's just a hole in the ground, so... Let's move on. I'm not bitter. I'll eventually get there. So anyway, back to Sedona. Sedona. What kind of place is Sedona? What kind of place is it? You know what kind of place it is? It's the kind of place where everyone expects God to show up there. Driving into the town is like driving into Vegas, though I haven't been there. Except it's not casinos that are lining the sides of the street. First, it's churches. And the most beautiful churches you've ever seen with the most beautiful architecture you've ever seen. I mean, it just fits right into the Sedona way. And then the churches then, as you go deeper into Sedona, are replaced by New Age uh, worship centers and occult shops. Everywhere you look, the message is clear. Expect God to show up here. So do you, do you expect God to show up here in church for you? Some of you are thinking, um, no, no, I don't, Jeff. I don't expect that. You've given up on God showing up for you, and you have your reasons and you know that you just can't, like right now, it's kind of painful to you. You're here because you're used to coming to church. 
and you're here and you're thinking, oh, don't, don't give me the possibility of hope that he might show up for me. And he doesn't. Once again, do you? Do you expect God to show up for you here right now? For you. Some of you are thinking, look, I keep asking, I keep seeking, I keep trying, I try everything trying to get him to show up for me. You've, you've engaged in surrendering all. You're, you're repenting of all known sin. You're doing the long obedience. No, God. God doesn't show up for you. You're trying the popular fascination today with medieval mysticism and its spiritual disciplines. Your blood pressure's dropped a little. You've learned to sit quietly a little bit longer. But no, God. No, God didn't show up for you. You're into authenticity. You're into being a, a real person in a real community. And you've made some real friends. And you're a jerk less. But no, God, no, God doesn't show up for you. Uh, you're doing different churches and different church traditions, and I just mentioned a few, like Bible churches to get the Bible. You've got charismatic churches to get the Spirit. You've got mega churches to get worship music and gifted communicators. You've got Baptist churches to get the youth ministry. You've got Presbyterian churches to get the theology. You've got Episcopal churches to get the high liturgy. You've got Roman Catholic churches to get the tradition. Eastern Orthodox churches to get church fathers. You've got holiness churches to get, well, holiness. You've got fundamentalist churches to get the King James Bible and lots of rules. You've got woke churches to get social justice. No God. God doesn't show up for you. Do you? Do you expect God to show up here right now in church for you? Some of you are thinking it's my fault that God doesn't show up. Um... I'm unfaithful to God. I'm failing at the Christian life. I'm making a mess of my life. So of course he doesn't show up for me. Do you expect God to show up here in church for you? Today's doctrine says you should. We stand for the hearing of God's word. We have just a small amount of scripture to read this morning. So if you get tired, sit down. Nobody will think less of you. You'll be okay. All right, we're going to start with the history of today's doctrine. So when you're looking at the history, you're going to look at this passage. I want you to try to find the doctrine in the history, okay? So here we go. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Look, you may eat of all the trees of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you may not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we're going to move into Paul's interpretation of the history of the doctrine. First, he's going to tell you it's in you. 
See if you can find what's in you. Romans 2.14. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the law or that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Second, Paul says about this doctrine, history, interpreting, it's cursing you. Listen for how it's cursing you. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Third, Paul says, whatever this doctrine is, it's imprisoning you. Look for the reason, though, that it's imprisoning you. Galatians 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, we looked at one history. Now there's another history of this doctrine. So there's two histories to this doctrine. See if you can find it. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Two histories. One doctrine. Now, this one doctrine has two aspects to it. See if you can find them. Tell me. This is such a great question. (laughs) Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Here's what it says. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now, this may be interpreted, two aspects, allegorically. These women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery, she's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the other one, is free. And she's your mother. Today's doctrine has two divine ministries. You ready? See if you can find them. Such is confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiencies from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Two ministries. The letter kills. The Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not look at Moses Face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what was once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more what is permanent have glory." Now, originally, we were going to continue. We're going to end right there. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh, Lord, we ask that this morning, right now, you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would enlighten, enlighten the light of our eyes, give clarity to our minds, give realness to our hearts. And, oh, Jesus, we're asking you to show up in the wonders of your word. And if you do... Everything will be okay. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So do you, do you expect 
God to show up here in church for you. This doctrine says you should. What is this doctrine? This doctrine is covenant. Covenant. Now, uh, covenant is going to be a new doctrine for pretty much most of us. Uh, And it's not a new doctrine because it's a new doctrine. It's a new doctrine for us because it's an old doctrine. It's one of those old, dusty, dead, dried doctrines that the church uh, has put in a box and put into the attic. We've forgotten about it. It's lost. It's just collecting dust. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things to kind of engage this new doctrine that's an old doctrine, an ancient doctrine, a dead doctrine, a dusty doctrine. Here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to use our brains. So we're going to look at the ABCs of covenant. That's what we're going to do first. And then second, we're going to use our bones. We're going to feel the force of doctrine, of covenant, deep in your bones. And you're thinking, well, I can't feel the force of something. I can't make the force of something happen in my bones. And you're exactly right. I said, you're going to feel the force of covenant deep in your bones. It unleashes power. So fasten your seatbelts. Put on your crash helmet when we get to that section. So let's start with using our brains, all right? So what are the ABCs of covenant? Here it is. It starts with the covenant with creation. That's what we looked at. And God said, let there be light, and there was. Do you see the pattern? It's a real clear pattern throughout all of chapter 1, throughout all of creation. The pattern is, let there be, and there was. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be sky, and there was sky. Let there be the seas, and there was the seas. Let there be land, and there was land. And it's so fascinating that all these are kingdoms, like the kingdom of the sky, and then what God does is he puts kings in the sky. There's the kingdom or the realm of the sea, and then God puts kings in the realm of the sea. But the pattern's the same for when he does the realm and for when he does the kings. Let there be, and there was. All the servants of creation are living and moving and having their being by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They're spoken to life. God speaks and it happens. God speaks, and they're sustained. God speaks, and they're filled. God speaks, and they overflow. God speaks, and they're flourishing. Everything hangs on the words of the great king. These are words that aren't conveying information. These are words that get things done. So what's happening in creation is crystal clear. It's not even just crystal clear in that pattern of let there be light and there was. But it's clear in the actual literary form of Genesis 1 and 2. And the literary form of the whole first five books of the Bible. What's the literary form? It's phenomenal. But this is why you pay me to do this kind of work. The literary form is an ancient covenant. An ancient treaty form called the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. So you have 
This is a covenant that's happening in Genesis 1. So as God is creating the world and he's creating, he's actually cutting a covenant with creation. It's a covenant based on him giving his words and there being a response to those words. So you get something like this. If there's no let there be, if God says, if God doesn't say let there be, nothing happens. If creation says, if light says, if God says to light, let there be light, and light says, let me think about it, everything falls to pieces. Let there be the seas. Nope. Everything falls to pieces. So here's the key. If the covenant with creation is broken, the meaning of life becomes meaningless. Light becomes darkness. Life becomes death. Goodness becomes nothingness. Fullness becomes empty. I think there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes that talks about all of this kind of dynamic. So Genesis 1 is dripping with drama, y'all. When you get to Genesis 1, it's absolutely dripping because you have this great king and he says, let there be light, right? Light obeys. Let there be the skies. The sky obeys. Let there be the sea and the seas obey. Let there be land and the land obeys. And so what's going to happen when God's prized creature shows up? His very own image bearer shows up. The ultimate king and the ultimate queen over everything. What happens? Will they obey? Will there be an and there was? Some folks wonder, like, when did the fall happen? You know when I think the fall happened? In the heavens. In other words, with the evil, primal evil. Because remember, when the snake shows up in Genesis 3, it already happened in the heavens. And everybody speculates about when it happens. But you know what I think happens when it happened? Whenever God had created all these wonderful kingdoms and kings called creation, let there be, and they responded. But then everyone's in on the game, and the heavenly beings are in on the game, and they're in awe, and they're watching it. And then God says, and now I'm going to make my prized creature. And Satan went, wait. That's me. And I think that's when the fall happened. So the drama is phenomenal by the time we get to 2.15 in Genesis, right? The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden east of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you will surely die. And then one chapter later it says, When the woman saw the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. In other words, she wanted to be more than herself. She took it, and she ate, and she gave some to her husband, her passively disobedient husband. And he ate it, and everything falls to pieces. The covenant snaps, and light turns to dark. Life moves to death. Fullness moves to emptiness. Goodness moves to nothingness. Dead theologians of old and ancient Bible experts of old 
They call what's happening here a covenant, a covenant with creation, a covenant of works, a covenant of life, a covenant of law. Take your pick, whatever one you like. Those are the doctrines that associate with what we just described, okay? So if you want to investigate further on those, I'd be more than happy to give you some books, more than happy to you know, use some late night reading that will help you go to sleep. I'm all in on that. Want to help you as much as I can. But here, we're not going to use our brains anymore. We're done with using our brains. It's time to feel it in our bones. The broken covenant with creation, this covenant of works, covenant of law, covenant of life, take your pick, is why you feel deep in your bones, I, I am not enough. You wonder where it came from. You wonder why Brianna Brown's making millions, or Brene Brown, whatever her name is. It's a brown, that's all I know. And I wish I would have beat her to it. I've told you that before. A lot of money was left on the table. No matter how many times your mom says, honey, I love you just the way you are. (laughs) Right? Because all our moms do that. You still feel I'm not enough. No matter how many times you win, I'm not enough. No matter how many times you get the girl, I'm not enough. No matter how many times you feel important, I'm not enough. No matter how many times you meet the standard, I'm not enough. No matter how many times you crush it in your job, I'm not enough. No matter how many times you're admired, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. This broken covenant with creation, this covenant of works, covenant of law, is why you feel deep in your bones, I don't do enough, I don't do enough as a mom. How many moms think they do enough? How many husbands think they do enough? We were just talking about this in the car. I mean, Ty and I and Nancy, we were talking about this, just saying how when we get to the end of our lives, I didn't do enough. I should have done this. What happens when midlife crises happen? I didn't do enough. I didn't, I didn't, my life's at the midlife point. What have I done? You want to know where that comes from? A broken covenant way back in creation. The broken covenant with creation is why the Apostle Paul says there's this law within you that demands constantly, that constantly makes you anxious, that constantly makes you exhausted, that constantly puts you like, I'm on trial. It constantly makes you feel like people are watching you or creation is watching. You go for a walk, you think the trees are watching you. It's why you constantly feel like you're being measured and no matter what you do, it could be anything as pure as just playing a great athletic sport, but you constantly shift from this being free to actually participate and enjoy it for what it is to all of a sudden you're in your head. There's a whole realm of sports psychology just for that. You know that. Some of you are in those departments. 
That's why the Apostle Paul says the, the law continually curses you. Yeah, you're not enough. You don't do enough. You're a nothing. That's why the Apostle Paul in that text that we read says it imprisons you in a tomb of self-effort. You, you try and try and try. You do and do and do. You try to be, try to be, try to be. And not only you can't, but please hear me. What Paul is saying is that you're imprisoned in constantly doing it. So it's not like you finally come to the end and say, oh, I just can't do it. The next morning you get up and you keep trying. It's an imprisonment of self-effort. It's an imprisonment of self-justification. It's an imprisonment of self-reliance. It's an imprisonment of self-preoccupation. It's an imprisonment of self-century, hypervigilance of self. I mean, mental health experts are having a field day in this field right now. You want to know, where does this come from? Why are we like this? Shh, that broken covenant. That's why Paul says the law enslaves you in multi-forms of the law. Sure, there's the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows about the Ten Commandments, but this is bigger than that. This is actually when God said, let there be, he spoke his word into the very DNA and the very fabric of creation. Everything came to be and hangs by his word. So if, if creation, the prized creature, turns away from those words, the spiritual fabric of the universe is just torn in two. You tear spiritually. You tear morally. You tear relationally. Everything moves towards nothingness. And so that's why we have not just the Ten Commandments, but we have all these little laws. So it's like, we have personal laws, family laws. I mean, where do you have these family traditions? You're like, where'd you get that? From my family. And they're like life and death to that family. And then if you get a bunch of families together and they form tribes and clans and they form their traditions, there are life and death laws in those traditions. Aren't there life and death laws being spun right now in our culture? Where did all that come from? That broken covenant. Why are you so committed to the law of success? Why does the law of thinness just crush you? Why when you break your diet, it's the end of the world? Why when you lose on the athletic field, you lose yourself? I know about that one. Deep in my soul. When I no longer could do certain things, when I had an injury that took me out of two sports that I absolutely loved, I didn't know who I was anymore. So, at the top of Cathedral Rock in Sedona, we're back at Sedona now, uh, we meet a guy named Bearclaw. He's not Native American. Uh, I mean, he's a whiter dude than me. He's barefoot. He climbed that whole mountain barefoot. I mean, Ty and Knox and I are looking at this guy like, I couldn't help it. I, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to ask him, dude, how did you do that? And I'm looking at his feet 
And they looked like clubs, man. They looked like, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, I couldn't help it. So I had to talk to him, and I said, dude, how, how did you do that, right? And like many in Sedona, Bear Claw is living off grid. And then, you know, I wondered, like, why does he live off grid? Well, like many in Sedona who live off grid, they're trying to escape all the laws. And you think they're not trying to escape laws, Jeff. They don't care about religious laws. Well, you know, maybe some are trying to escape religious laws. Maybe they grew up with you in church, and they're like, I got to get away from that person. But maybe they're just trying to get away from the laws that seem to be embedded in the very fabric of existence, personal expectations. He lives in a van. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have work. He doesn't have stress. He doesn't have judgments. He doesn't have accusations. He's his own. He doesn't have a family. No responsibilities. Bear Claw did it, man. He escaped the reach of the law, and I was ready to join him. Dude, where do you go? Which cathedral are you at? So, dude, how did you do it? Over the next 15 minutes, he proceeds to tell Knox, Ty, and I the laws of living barefoot. It would have been longer than 15 minutes if I didn't say, hey, dude, I've got to go. (laughs) The force of creation, the force of the covenant at creation, the force of the covenant at creation, you feel deep in your bones as the law. Everyone does. Bear claw, a highly religious person at church, all feel it. The elites feel it. The coach feels it. The mom feels it. You feel it. I don't have to convince you of anything. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So what I'm about to say next is going to shock you. What I'm about to say next is you're going to be like, no way, Jeff. What I'm about to say next is like completely radical. It's like, I don't even know if I should say it. But of course I'm going to say it. The law has a ministry in your life. Remember what we're trying to solve? Do you expect... God to show up here for you, what many of you think is not God showing up, he actually is. When you feel demands and stresses and exhaustion and depression and anxiety, the first question is, where are you, God? Why don't you show up for me? You know what the Bible says? He just did. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. We read it up there. The law, the letter or the law kills. Do you feel like you're just absolutely being crushed? Do you feel like, well, here's the other thing. The law imprisons. Do you feel like you're in a prison? Do you feel like you're stuck? Do you feel like you can't get out of something? That's a ministry. 
God just showed up for you. Paul says the law has the ministry of death. Do you feel like you're dying? Can't make it, can't go on, depressed. The law has the ministry of condemnation. Do you feel condemned, accused, on trial, measured, watched? The trees are watching me. You remember what all the philosophers said? I can't remember, was it Sartre? said, hell is being looked at. Paul says the law has glory. In other words, the law has a ministry in your life. The law has a spectacular work of God in your life. There is a spectacular work. And you're asking, well, what is the law's ministry? What is the spectacular work of God? What could be God showing up for me in that? Here's the answer. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed, so that when our guardian, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. We tend to look at that and think of it only redemptive historically in terms of original histories, but it's also the way it works in your personal history. The law imprisons, the law shuts, the law drives you completely out of yourself. The law says, of course, it's impossible for you. The law says, yep, you're unable. The law says, yep, you're a mess. The law says, yep, you can't be that and you can't do that. The law has a phenomenal ministry. It drives you right to Jesus. And that's a whole other covenant called the covenant of grace. You see, in a covenant of grace, what's happening? What a covenant is, I mean, I'm just going to give you the definition. It's called a binding relationship. Woo! The original covenant, the binding relationship, is obedience. And that's why we feel the way we feel, because we have broken. But you know what the binding, what the cords are in a covenant of grace? God takes you and binds himself to you, and he ties a binding around you and him, and the binding is grace. The binding is Jesus. That's breathtaking. What breaks that bind? Nothing, nothing can. The binding is Jesus. So I'm not enough. I don't do enough. You're right. The law is right. Whatever the law is for you. Absolutely. But Jesus is enough, and Jesus did enough. For you. So here's what happens. Paul calls this the ministry of righteousness. It's just a, it's a big word, the ministry of righteousness. Jeepers. But what that does is it reaches all the way back into the original creation and says, Jesus is your ministry of righteousness, what he did for you. 
And what that means is that he's actually the true Adam. So when God said, let there be, and he wants to get to this prized creature that's going to say, and there was. Let there be. Adam did not do it. And so what Jesus did is in heaven, he's like, God says, let there be. And Jesus said, oh, God, please send me. Let me do the and there was for them. Let me get cursed for them. Let me be perfect in being and in doing and give it to them. You're enough. You actually are enough in Jesus. You actually do enough in Jesus. It's actually finished. If you want to keep living in the other covenant, you will never be enough. You will never do enough. It is never finished. If you let that covenant drive you out of yourself to Jesus, you're finally enough. So here's the last thing I want to say. Let the law, whatever the law is for you, if it's the Ten Commandments, one of those ten that's nailing you, or if it's the law of success or the law of capability or some law for baking or some law for how to eat or some law for being a good mom or some law for what a good church looks like, let that law bury you. Let it bury you. And then rise in another. Rise in another. Amen.